Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Chris Bennett, who's the founder and CEO of Wonderschool, a company on a mission to ensure every child has access to early education that helps them realize their potential. This is also a company that's raised $20-plus million from top investors like Andreessen Horowitz. In this episode, we go through how Wonderschool got started and what Chris did in the early days to get his first customers on board, the team behind Wonderschool. What goes into ensuring the quality of everyone in terms of the teachers at Wonder School? How they looked at growth over time, their experience going through 500 startups, and so much more in this episode. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com, and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado... Here is Chris Bennett, co-founder and CEO of Wonderschool. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be on the show. Yeah, happy to have you on here. And obviously, with a lot of experience you have as an entrepreneur, most recently with Wonderschool, I'd love to have you give a little overview of what Wonderschool is for people who aren't familiar. Sure. So Wonderschool is a network of childcare programs, uh, in-home programs, programs that are in parks. We're even starting to work with small micro centers, so commercial programs. And uh, yeah, we've been around for four years and we're, we're all over the country. Yeah, you've grown a ton in the last number of years. And it's interesting to kind of see some of that growth as I've been doing my research. And I'm always curious about how companies start. And so I, I want to start with that as well then. How did Wonder School start in the first place, Chris? So... I'm originally from Miami, Florida. My parents are immigrants from Honduras. Um, And growing up, uh, there was a really big emphasis on education for both me and my sister. Um, I went to an incredible uh, in-home program for after-school care and elementary school throughout. And I also went to an incredible childcare program uh, growing up. Um, I'm also one of 31 first cousins. And so I was able to sort of see like how things turned out for me versus my cousins. And one of the things that was a big difference is, you know, I went to these incredible in-home programs and uh, childcare programs where my cousins sort of didn't go with, go down that similar route and um, turned out that I was the first in my family to graduate from college. So I graduated from Wharton in 07 and um, you know, now I'm an entrepreneur in the Bay area and Looking back, I was really trying to understand, you know, what led to me having a different outcome than my cousins. And it turned out that, you know, 
education played a big part in that. Um, and so I started hearing from my friends in the Bay Area that they were having a hard time finding childcare. And I thought that was really strange because, uh, you know, growing up, I didn't think finding childcare was difficult. <laughs> um, I, th- I always thought that it was, and I don't have children, so I haven't actually gone yeah. through like the childcare search myself. It just sort of made me think like, what, what could I do to help get parents more access to childcare? And I also thought more about the woman um, who I went to for after school care, this woman named Yoli. Uh, she started her business in her home and she grew it to a hundred child center in our community in Miami. And she's still running her business today. And there's all wow. these, you know, stories of like small business owners um, failing, how all these small businesses fail. But she was such a you know huge success. I didn't really understand why more people weren't doing what she did. So um, came up with this idea to create more childcare programs. And what we actually did is we hired a teacher, we rented a home, and we started a childcare program in Berkeley uh, to learn everything about um, the process of creating a program and operating a program. And um, you know we scaled that to we have you know over a thousand programs on our platform now, um, all throughout throughout the country, um, serving you know you know thousands of families. That's incredible. And in that early day as well, with that first that first teacher in this rented house, then what were some of those things that you were you were taking away from that that helped you then as you as you grew this, you know, expanding from that first to obviously many many more at this point? What were some of those early lessons that you learned? You know, the, the, the experience of the teacher matters a lot, not necessarily the education, but the experience of the teacher. Um, you know, another thing we learned was that, um, parents really want something close by, um, with parents in their community, um, with someone they can trust. Um, we learned, uh, you know, everything about licensing and the process for getting a program licensed. Um, the background check process, how to ensure quality, how to ensure safety. But I think the I think the biggest thing was that you know I, I I'm someone who didn't have an education a background in education or early childhood education, yeah. And we 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 quickly got an enrollment at our school. It took us you know six months from like idea to our first enrollment, and it made me think like if I'm able to do this. There's a really big need here, and it's really worth pursuing. And to that point, then you, it only took you six months to get enrollment, which is kind of remarkable. You think about it, for not having the experience with this as well. Then take me through your your co-founder and and who started this with you, because I'm really curious to hear what, what the, the makeup of was the team early on. So I started with my co-founder Errol. Um, he's no longer with the company. You know, he left the company about maybe about a year ago, um, a little over a year ago. But we started the company together. Um, he was, you know, having a hard time finding childcare himself. Um, and he recently had um, his son, Addy. We started a program in LA and then a program in Berkeley so that we could learn everything about it. And he, he didn't have a background in education either. We, we, we were just, you know, your typical SaaS tech founders who start companies. <laughs> That's awesome. And so you don't have the experience necessarily, but you obviously are getting a ton of lessons and learnings from from just having the first one, taking action and having this first school then. And then take me through how you're looking at 
growth then from this first to the second, the third, and really expanding out from there in the early days to obviously what you got to today, which is a thousand on the platform. How did you look at growth from there? We wanted to be really thoughtful about quality, really thoughtful about quality. And so that's something that, so we weren't actually trying to grow too fast early on. Um, And we were taking it like one program at a time. And uh, we also were primarily focused on programs that were um, starting out at the time. Um, And then towards about a year or two into the business, we started to work with people who already had childcare programs. And now we sort of support both. So we support folks who are starting childcare programs and folks who are, um, who already have programs. And, um, and yeah, the company has been growing pretty rapidly um, since, since we decided to, to focus on, on both types, maybe about 18 months ago. And with that then as well, Chris, I mean, how are people typically finding out about Wonder School? Because uh, obviously it's a program that's it's needed for all over all across the country in terms of child care. But how are people finding out then about, about what you guys are doing? I'd say a big way folks are finding out about us is via um, search engine optimization. So we're doing a lot of SEO. Um, we, you know, do, we have a pretty strong word of mouth component where folks, you know, talk about Wonder School. So teachers refer other teachers parents refer other parents um, to wonder school and so that's how you know we're growing Um, we're getting a lot of referrals and a lot of word of mouth and on that note obviously with getting word of mouth (laughs) having a good program is is a big part of it and you mentioned the quality side of it what goes into making sure that these wonder schools are all high quality because as you said that's such a critical component of this what goes into that that quality maybe quality assurance side of things with wonder school so, so early on, um, we actually interviewed every teacher, um, and there was like an application program process to join the platform, and then we um, we changed that. Uh, uh, well, we interviewed everyone. We were actually visiting every program, going into every program's home, meeting with the teachers on a regular basis. That helped us build a lot of, you know proprietary quality systems with our product that we were able to build to get visibility into the program. And then when we started to scale to other states, we tried a number of things where we hired people in the state to actually like visit the programs, um, like as contractors to test that out. Um, We've done video calls with the programs. And now we've, now we're at a point where we're more of an open platform and we let, you know, anyone join. And when someone joins, we do a background check to make sure that they um, pass a background check. We share their information about their program. Uh, if they're licensed, we share that on our site to let parents know whether the program is licensed or not. And when a program gets licensed, um, in most states, someone visits the home, someone does background checks on everyone who lives the, lives in the home. And then they're constantly, the state's constantly monitoring the programs to make sure that they are um, you know, within code. And, um, and we rely heavily on that system that's already in place to ensure that the programs are in good shape. And then, um, and then we get a lot of parent feedback now. And so um, we, we ask parents on a regular basis, like what they think about the program, how things are going at the program. And it's all based off of um, a system we created called our quality safety vision, where we're able to get us, we're able to have like a, an opinion on what quality should look like in the program. And um, 
monitor that quality on an ongoing basis. And then we use that information for parents who are looking for childcare to get visibility and whether the program meets, you know, the quality standards of Wonder School so that they can make a decision about enrolling in the program. And you mentioned the the states, you know, expanding different states. Were there certain ones you were targeting on purpose in the early days of like, okay, we want to go state by state, this one to this one to this one. How did you look at that perspective of, you know, kind of geography in terms of which regions or which areas you you wanted to get into with Wonder School? Early on, we wanted to focus on places that uh, we were sort of like looking for the most dense areas in the U.S. So we did New York, L.A., San Francisco. Yep. Um, but now... We're in rural areas. We're in, we're everywhere. We we're in suburbs. We're urban. Um, we're all over the country, and um, you know that that approach is going well. And and one thing is too. So even going back to, I love it still the earlier days, but progressing this business took a, a, a little bit of funding, obviously over $20 million over, over the course of time, your first round of funding, I know you had been at another company before, so you definitely had experience, but take me through like the early funding for, for wonder school. How did that go for you? Cause a lot of other founders who, you know, have ideas and are building things now are, are curious about fundraising and how that process goes for you. And like the first round of funding, how, how did that go for you in wonder school? It went pretty well. Um, we raised from first round capital, um, Josh Koppelman, who I was working with at Soldi, um, you know, uh, led the round. Um, and, uh, and so that process went really well. And, uh, we were fortunate to, to raise around pretty quickly, um, through that, um, cross culture ventures invested as well. Um, Marlon Nichols invested and, um, and, and so I, 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 I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the best person to talk about fundraising because <laughs> it's like, I've been fortunate to be in, be, be in the, be in the system, be in the ecosystem for long enough that like, I know a lot of investors and I know the sort of process for fundraising. Um, the, you know, what I always tell folks is like you, my first company centrally when I start first company in the valley centrally um that was a slog you know that was that was in 2011 I didn't know how to pitch I didn't have much traction <laughs> I didn't really know how how to build a product and yeah looking back on that is even now as we're having this conversation it's it's pretty mind-blowing you know how much has changed uh, personally, um, for me is like understanding how to build a company, but yet it's still so hard, you know, I'm learning, <laughs> I'm learning every day, but, uh, yeah, that first, that first round was really hard. Uh, I remember someone agreed to a $50,000 investment and I was like so excited. And then, you know, he asked more questions. He asked more questions and he decided to come in at $5,000 and, you know, that oh, was, wow. uh, it was a big bummer, but I took it because, it was, you know, you sort of had to put your ego aside and get your first check in. And then I used that momentum to raise, you know, our first, our first seed round. Well, and going back to that, I'd love to hear more about that story. Cause like you said, I mean, I think it's unique to have, you know, people on who have been through investing in terms of having so many high quality top investors. I mean, you had the, your series A led by Andreessen Horowitz, you mentioned first round. I mean, this took obviously multiple companies you've gone through. Uh, I think it's, it's helpful to understand that, 
you didn't start with these companies, like you said, you were struggling in the early days. So in that company in 2011, you got the first 5,000. How did you leverage that to, to then get more investors, especially when you maybe didn't have the network at that point in time for your company? So I got the 5,000. And then the next thing we did is we applied to 500 startups. And we were in the third batch of 500 startups. Um, great batch, super, super incredible, you know, um, set of founders, um, Christine and Dave were so helpful in helping me, you know, think about my company and build our company. And in that, um, we pivoted our company from centrally to Solzy. And, um, I remember meeting this guy, Jason Friedman, he started a company 42 floors and he was instrumental in, you know, advising me on how to fundraise. And he was like, what's your growth rate? Uh, and I was like, I don't know. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, startups need to grow. What's your growth rate? What? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, you need to, you need to know what your week, week over week and your month over month growth rate is. And you should be targeting. I, I don't remember. I think he was like, I don't remember what numbers he said, but he gave me some numbers and he's like, that's what you should be thinking about. And I was like, okay, cool. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> so, we'll do that. <laughs> so I was like, guys, we need to grow. Because, <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a weird concept because when I, um, the companies that started before, I wasn't trying to grow. I was trying to make it profitable and like, you know, fund my life. Yeah. Uh, startups, um, you know, you're, you're at the time, at least you're, 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 your key metric was how fast do you grow? And so um, I sat down with the team. We decided that we were going to grow. And then we started growing. Once you start to focus on something, it's, you know, that's saying when you focus on what, what you focus on expands. And so, yeah, started focusing on growing. We started growing. And then um, I used the Penn Network. Um, so I, I'm a Penn grad. And I, I, I met with um, Alex Matal from Funders Club. Um, and... Uh, and through that, um, I was able to raise a, a seed round. We raised um, about a million dollars um, um, about nine months after getting Jason's advice, and uh, and then and then we raised our Series A from first round capital, where they invested. Um, we raised a four million dollar round, um, in which first round and soft tech um, VC both led the round. Going through that, then raising that round from from first round, how did you end up having them as the the lead investors in that? Because there's obviously a number of investors and you had gotten traction. You got some great advice early on about growth, which has obviously changed things for you at Solty. Then getting first round though, what went into that in terms of them being the ones that were going to help lead this round? I met Josh Koppelman at a at TED, the TED conference. Um, yeah. Josh is on the board of Funders Club and Alex always talked about how incredible Josh was. And he also started half.com and I started a company in college where I was selling books on half.com. So I was just a big, you know, fan of his work. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I kept him up to date, kept sending him updates on how the business was going and they, you know, eventually, um, ended up leading the round when we were fundraising. Um, and I pitched probably like 50 VCs for that round of which, yeah, Josh ended up leading the round. 
Yeah. And from having obviously so much fundraising experience at this point now, and you know, I've raised millions of dollars for other founders as well, who are going to be wondering about this. You mentioned early on here about you understood the process way more for by the time you got into Wonder School with, with starting Wonder School, you had a much better understanding and grasp of the fundraising process because you had gone through it so many different times. What are some aspects just uh, for other people, some aspects of that fundraising process that would be useful for other founders to know who, you know, whether they've haven't raised before or they've raised a series, you know, raised a seed round and are looking at a series A, just kind of some of the things around the process of fundraising that you think might be, might be helpful for others if you have anything particular. What I typically tell folks is to pitch a lot of investors. So have a wide, like a big list, 50 investors. Be very comfortable getting no. You only need one yes. You're going to get lots of no's, like lots of no's. So it's like <laughs> every time I raise, I get lots of no's. And so it's just, you have to sort of be comfortable with a lot of no's. Uh, Steve Blank always tells this story um, about when he was fundraising for his company and how like he was pitching VCs and everyone kept saying no. And he realized as he was driving to another meeting that if he kept saying the same thing, he would keep getting no's and he was sitting with his VP of sales and he's like, we need to change our pitch. And I always think about that story. It's like, yeah, what you start off with doesn't mean just because you start off with a certain pitch doesn't mean that you need to keep using that exact same pitch and all of your other pitches. So you should, you need to pivot while you're going through the process. Um, and so that's another thing. It's like try one deck and literally after every pitch meeting, make edits to the deck, keep making edits. And then you're going to land on something that you can t tell the same story over and over and over again. Um, speaking of stories, when you're telling, when you're fundraising, you want to tell a story. It's not like, oh, here's our team slide and here's our traction slide. It's walk the investor through your journey and then take the investor to where you're going. And um, everyone's journey is different. Yeah. And, and so everyone's deck should be different. You can't like, go get a template and then just like fill in some boxes and be like, let's fundraise. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's like, um, and then also uh, for every round, like a series D, a series C, a seed round, a pre-seed round, there's sort of like a culture and an expectation behind that round. And that culture and expectation changes over time. So raising a seed round today is very different than raising a seed round three years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So you need to know what's the culture and expectation today. And you typically can find that by talking to folks who have raised that round in the past year. And so whenever I'm planning to raise a round, I go and ping folks like, hey, like what was, when I was raising for, for, for Wonder School, you know, what are the expectations for a seed round? What do people want to expect? Like, and, and, and then you use that information to inform how you tell your story and if it's time to go and fundraise. I think that's a really, that's a really important point you bring up because especially looking at the rounds and how they've changed today. I mean, just in sort of size even. And I've talked to a number of founders on this show who they may have been through, you know, raising rounds years and years ago where they're saying a series A was like a $4 million round or something. And you'll have now, I mean, 10, 20, 
plus million dollars, you know, Series A rounds. It's just a lot different. To your point, understanding what the dynamics are, the culture around that at the time you're investing is is critically important. And the interesting thing about podcasting is people will hear this for potentially years to come. So it still is important wherever you are, whatever time frame. We're recording this in 2020, but understanding where that's going to be for you then. So we're going back to Wonder School. You have this idea for Wonder School. You get your first teacher and you have your first school. Obviously, you make a lot of progress. You raise a round of funding early on, and then eventually you raise a $20 million Series A led by Adrian Horowitz in 2018. To your point of kind of the culture on the round and everything there, where were you at in the business at that point when you were kind of raising your Series A in 2018 with Wonder School? So we were um... – well, I, I, I probably shouldn't share the details of like where yeah. we were in terms of like our metrics. High level, yeah. <laughs> but um, but base, but pretty much, you know how I was saying, what's the ex, what are the expectations? What's the culture? Um, we were right there. Like we were like, like you know, after doing all the research I needed to do to figure out if we were ready to raise a Series A, we were perfectly like ready to raise a series A and that, that allowed us to be able to, you know, get the meetings we needed to get to raise around from, you know, an incredible investor in Andreessen Horowitz and Jeff Jordan and, um, and, and be prepared to, to, you know, get past the hurdle of like, uh, uh, do they have the, the metrics today to raise around? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, and so, and, and that was based off of research. I, I, I considered kicking off a Series A fundraising twice before then, and realized that the timing what didn't make sense until when we made until when we went out to raise. Yeah, and with that too, with having these you know, amazing investors on, on board and even on your actual board as well, I mean, how has that been? Everyone talks about value added from investors. I'm curious as to how you personally, at least, uh, have found that valuable to have. Obviously, the investors you do have uh, that are part of your company at this point. How has that been valuable in terms of having those VCs on board? Oh, it's been great. Um, our board's incredibly helpful. Um, so I work with I work really closely with our board um, on a on a on a daily basis, uh, and uh, they all bring different things to the team. And so it's been it's been great working with um with with our board and and what's also great about a number of the firms we work with um, they have teams that support them um, so like Andreessen Horowitz um, Unusual Ventures uh, first round they all have like a team uh, Imaginable Futures Marlin uh, across culture they all have teams that sort of provide different um, value adds so like executive recruiting marketing support PR support. And so we're able to leverage those teams to help us, you know, build our company. That's amazing. And I think that's, that seems like a huge part of it. They can actually bring those people on board. And to that point then you mentioned like the executive recruiting, for instance, but on the hiring note more broadly, and that's especially CEOs. I mean, you're, you're doing sales, you're doing fundraising and you're hiring, firing as part of it on the hiring front. I mean, what's been the story for Wonder School in terms of how that's gone for you, your approach to hiring. I'd be really curious because you've had multiple companies now and obviously had have experience with this. Um, what's your been approach to hiring been with Wonder School? With Wonder School, I spend a lot of time recruiting, um, a lot of time hiring. I work with um, two really great executives, um, Wayne Morris and Javier Lopez. Wayne's leading um, our go-to-market team. Javier leads our engineering and product team. 
And, um, you know, I've been really mindful of finding folks that provide, give me leverage so that I can um, sort of work on more strategic parts of our business. Um, and then I also spend a lot of time thinking about my strengths and weaknesses and uh, focus on hiring folks who can complement me and, you know, fill in for my weaknesses so I can focus on my strengths. Um, and then for, you know, other components of the team, um, I spend a, we spend a lot of time thinking about what's the exact thing we need right now and for the next 18 months and in the long run and put together really clear job descriptions and uh, intake forms to really have clarity on the, 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 the type of person we're looking for. And then once we've done that, we work with, um, you know, recruiters to go and find those people. Um, and, uh, you know, our recruiting process and our interview process involves some um, value-based questions. It involves, um, you know, uh, 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 working sessions so that we can, we're able to understand the skills of the person, but also so that the candidate's able to understand what it's like to work with us and work at Wonder School and give some visibility into the type of work that they would be doing. Uh, so we're, we're very, very, you know, thoughtful, intentional when it comes to hiring. Yeah. And that part of it is, is so important for, for startups and especially getting right in the early days, the team that you build from that and expanding from there, because as you grow, it's also different skills that you need to your point, like the next 18 months and beyond, but it, it evolves as the company grows. And one of the things we haven't really talked about yet on that kind of note as well, is just the business model behind Wonder School. Tell me, Tell me a little, a little bit more about that. What's the business model behind this? And has it always been the same from the beginning to what it is today? So it's changed because we've gone from working with, um, you know, programs who are starting out to working with both people who are starting out and people who um, are already operating. Um, but uh, we have, um, a, you know, two, two products that we have in the market right now, which is um, uh a software as a service uh, product where programs are using our technology to manage their program. And um, that price is, it's about $150 a month to use that product. And then for an enrollment, um, we work with some um, programs to get enrollments and we charge 10% for every enrollment. Um, and that's, that's our pricing today. And, and with that, I mean, you said it obviously evolved as you kind of changed the business model uh, as well. How did COVID affect you guys at Wonder School? Yeah, so um, in March, you know, I anticipated that there would be um, a big uh, change for Wonder School because our primary business model at the time was 10% for every enrollment. And we knew that there were going to be a lot of people who unenrolled from childcare. Um, because if you looked at what was going on in cities all over the country, all over the world, cities were essentially shutting down, um, rightfully so. And so we were like, this is going to really, you know, change things for Wonder School. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty. We have no idea how long this is going to last for. And, uh, and I, I was sort of operating on the idea that it was like, you need to assume the worst. And so far, unfortunately, it's worse than I thought it would be. Um, the fact that, you know, we're in November now and 
um, it, the, 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 the crisis is just only getting worse. More and more people are dying. Um, we're continuing to have to shelter in place. It's really terrible. Um, yeah. and, um, and so, and so, yeah, for us to adjust, we, you know, we rolled out our SAS option to help people operate their programs. And um, we've just been really mindful about um, continuing to spend more time with our customers and understand their needs and, and invest in building product to, to, to help them navigate this. We also have been spending a lot of time with our providers, helping them navigate, um, you know, their finances. So when um, all of the PPP funding came out, um, uh, you know, around April and May, yep. we, we supported a lot of our providers and getting funding. And um, when we looked at sort of the, the averages that were coming out from the, the average provider who would go and get funding, um, Wonder School providers were significantly higher um, in terms of applying and also um, acquiring funding. And, um, you know, that was just a testament to the work we were doing to support them through the, these hard times. And with it, I mean, these are you know unprecedented in many ways. What's helped you lead your team through COVID? I mean, because as CEO, a, founder, a co-founder, people are looking to you. They're looking to you for guidance, for leadership, et cetera. What's helped you as a leader kind of get through this so far? Um, I'd say the thing that's helped me the most is, yeah, the team has been really helpful. Um, so being able to work with my team to, to navigate these twists and turns, it's been incredibly helpful. Um, I also work with some, you know, incredible mentors and coaches who I've been able to lean on a lot to support me through this. On that note of coaches, uh, have you always had a coach or when, when did that come into play? I probably got my first coach in like 2016, 2015. So I guess going on like five, six years of having a coach and yeah, it's, it's game changer. Super helpful. <laughs> Another thing I started to do is I started writing a lot based on advice from my coach and his advice is like, you know, all the answers, you just need to sort of like find them in you. And so I do a lot of writing to sort of try to pull out like what I feel like makes sense, what I feel like the right like path is um, to, to, to help with decision-making. What does that writing look like for you? What's the process for that? I use this app called 750 words, seven, five, zero words. Um, and it's, uh, it's just like total free form, like stream of consciousness. Like just, it's, I never format it. Um, I just write down all of my thoughts, write down all of my notes. Sometimes it looks like to-do lists. Sometimes it's just, you know, things that I'm thinking about. Um, and then I'll, and then I can, I'll often go back and look at, Sometimes I come up with really good ideas or like a really good plan and I'll go back and find that plan um, and actually like use it um, when when the time comes. Is that a, a daily thing, a weekly thing? Is it just whenever you feel the need to kind of brain dump everything or is it on like a scheduled basis? I'm just curious. Well, you're supposed to do it daily. And um, there's, a, you know, like there's like um, little features that sort of encourage you to do it daily. I do it... I probably do it multiple. I write on it maybe like five times a week. Then I get to 750 words, maybe like once or twice a week. And, um, and 
and I'm okay with that. Um, yes. That's sort of that's sort of like what I've settled on. Well, it's one of those things where if it's helping you, then great. Like you find what's works, what yeah. works for you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and I'm sure they as as they them as a company, I'm sure they want you to use it daily for only like that reason as well. <laughs> like <laughs> their product, like yeah, you should use this daily, <laughs> of course. Of course. Use <laughs> it all day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a start. You can graduate to two thousand words. Is our next app? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and on the note of coaching as well, because I've I've only actually, I've only heard this from a few people on the show, but it tends to be the people who have been farther along in their business. Um, who Typically it's been people who have raised a series A or have really been through companies before. How did you find a coach and what does that look like just in terms of how frequently you're kind of working with them? I found a coach through one of my investors. Um, I meet with him weekly and he also does sort of like a, like um, exercises with our, our leadership team. And so he'll lead, um, we just read the book on the advantage, um, Patrick Lincioni's book. And there's this process called the six questions. And he led like a workshop through like the six questions. Um, and then um, he's led workshops around feedback for us. So and then that, so that's the idea it works with me and then he works with the leadership team and i just to dive like a little bit deeper because i'm actually really curious about this and, and coaching and everything i used to be a personal trainer and i was really just coaching my clients oh, cool. every day yeah uh, early early days of career as much evolved since but with that i mean what does the session kind of consist of or even look like from a high level of, of working with the coaches i know other entrepreneurs who are listening are going to be curious about this as well what does that look like so it's an hour a week. Um, we check in on the, like he gives me homework and you check in on the homework. And then there's things that we're sort of like have goals for, for the year. So like the thing that I'm really focused on is culture at the company. And so we're constantly checking in on like culture. And that's like the overall theme. Um, and then there's just, you know, like weekly updates and like things to talk about. Um, sometimes the session's two hours, sometimes the session's 20 minutes. Um, but it's like an hour on the calendar. Um, I text him, I email him. Um, I get advice on like how to communicate with different folks in my orbit. And, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the process. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's it's helpful as well. And you mentioned the culture side of it. How did you decide that culture was going to be kind of the main focus of this year? Is it just the point of where the business is at now? Or, or take me through that. You know, I, I've just gotten feedback that like the culture needs to improve at Wonder School. And I took that feedback to heart and really wanted to improve it. And so I hired a coach who is incredible at culture. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> like, well, that does it. <laughs> you know, like I, one of my investors was like, "You should talk to this coach. He's you know world class when it comes to culture." And um, and that's sort of you know, and it's it's working. It's helping a lot. The the team is thriving right now, um, and I think a lot of it is based off of. Uh, the coaching that I'm receiving right now. 
Well, to the point that, I mean, I hate to not ask about the culture and how you're going about this with a world-class coach to give other people perspective. What are maybe a few aspects of that, that, you know, things you've done that have been helpful? I mean, cultures, I mean, it's a buzzword now, of course, but it's, there's a reason for it because it is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how, mm-hmm. what, are, what are some aspects of that that have been helpful? You said that culture has improved with Wonder School. What's uh, maybe some things around that that's been helpful? Well, a lot of it starts with you. Right. Yeah. And so um, I, I really focus on just like being like mentally centered. So I work out a lot more. I um, um, have regular meetings. Uh, I'm doing this writing exercise. I, I've been reading a lot of books about culture. So like one of the things I, I realized that there's this book, um, I forgot what it's called, but it's something about happiness. Ooh. And um, what the book talks about, um, I feel like I'm getting like a little woo-woo right now. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Go. Let's go. We're going here. We're, we're, go. strapped. we're strapped in, Chris. Here we go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. Um, so I, I think some one of the takeaways I have from the book is that like, um, uh, like, you know, as a personal trainer, like you don't just like get stronger by like, dreaming of getting stronger like you have to work out and you have to train like same thing with happiness you don't just be happy you don't become happy you actually have to work to become happy um which is a which is a and which is an interesting idea yeah and and so um and so i've been doing a lot of work around my own personal happiness and so one of the things i started doing i like adventure i really like adventures i like traveling and so I've been traveling. I've actually been on a road trip for the past, what is it, four months now? It was supposed to be a, a week or two. And <laughs> we're now on four months. I, I was in Honduras. Um, I went to go visit my family. I flew down for a wedding. And I, I recognize that during COVID, it's a little you know precarious to be traveling, but I'm being very careful and being really mindful. Yeah. But it's making me really happy. And that happiness is infectious and makes my team happy. Um, it, 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 um, it, and, and, but the, and the, the idea of the book, the other cool thing of the book is uh, people think, oh my God, I'm going to work my whole life and then I'm going to be happy when I retire, you know, or like, or like I'm going to become really successful and become a partner at my law firm and then I'm going to be happy. But it's actually his argument, it's the other way around. It's that happy people are successful. And so you should try to just be happy today. And it actually will make, and and, and it will actually lead to you um, being more successful. So um, I'm sort of like optimizing for my own personal happiness today. And so that's um, one of the things, and and, and that to me uh, is influencing the team's, the the company's culture. Another thing is alignment for the organization, which goes back to the six questions. I mean, it's really common for a leader, and I've I'm, I'm been guilty of this, of just like coming up with ideas and always like, you know, trying to like derail the company and what the company's focusing on. Um, the six questions really forces you as a leader and your leadership team to get aligned of what are the goals? What are we here for? Um, what are we, you know, I think the, what some of the questions are, why do we exist? Um, what's most important right now? Um, 
I'm I'm sort of butchering these books. I'm sort of shooting from the hip, but like I, <laughs> but but there are six questions um, that you know you can ask yourself. And we spent about a month working on it as a leadership team. But now we're all clear on like what we need to solve right now, where we're going, why do we exist? And again, that really helps the whole company do its best work because we can just keep going back to that framework of of, of what we're working on. Um, and it decreases whiplash, increases focus, increases happiness um, within the company, um, which will, you know, ideally lead to, you know, business success, which is what we're all sort of playing for. Yeah, and I, I love that you shared that because starting from, you know, within, like you as the founder, and then from there at the top of the organization all the way down, then that's how it affects everyone. Because if you are having a shitty day all the time, I imagine that it has to go for everyone else around you. It's never yeah. great to be around those types of people, even in the virtual environment we have now. You just don't want to spend time with them. So I think it's really important you brought that up. And it's, you know, stemming from having a coach and really want to wanting to focus on culture also because if you're listening to your employees and there's a, just a lot of lessons around that for other entrepreneurs which is why i love doing this show and bringing those nuggets out for people um and and one of the last questions i have is just with wonder school bring it back to the company again is what is kind of that that big vision you've come a long way already you've raised a lot of money so far but i'm sure there's uh you know bigger 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 thing you want to do here what is the big vision for wonder school so the, the um, you know, why we exist for Wonder School or our mission is to ensure every child gets access to high quality early childhood education that helps them realize their full potential. And that is the, you know, the big idea. And so how can we do that? And so that's what we're constantly asking ourselves as a company and working to execute on. Chris, where can people go to learn more about Wonder School and connect with you as well if they want? Yeah, wonderschool.com. Um, just go to wonderschool.com. And um, if you want to reach out to me, just email me at chris at wonderschool.com. Chris, this has been a lot of fun, very insightful. And I wanted to just say thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Yeah, this is really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.